Welcome to episode 29 of Expanding Beyond. Uh, it's almost holiday time. We are gearing up for, well, you are already already on holiday and you're so nice to take your computer with you. I will just be basically offline <laughs> soon. <laughs> so we are trying to uh, record a few episodes in advance so that you won't uh, notice uh, how I am gone for three and a half weeks. Nice long holiday uh, because... Yeah, those 18 months of the pandemic and whatever happened are, yeah, they, they were long. <laughs> you need time yes. off. Yes. Yes, I need time off. How about you? Yeah, my skin is definitely telling me we are on holiday. Today was cloudy and I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm still going to go to the beach because, you know, whatever. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm, I'm on holiday. I'll, I'll go. And, and I'm starting to become very German in that. And... <laughs> I went to the beach and I was like, yeah, okay, it's cloudy, no problem. Maybe it's not a big problem, but it was still a bit of a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, otherwise, it's, uh, it's, it's nice. It, it feels like summer. Uh, let's see for how long I can resist the temperatures before I start complaining. As of now, I'm just like, that's fine. That's what I wanted. It feels like summer. That's good. Yeah. All right. So... I guess we start with the big, the big topic. How's, how's your work now? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the, that's the line I jotted down just right now about uh, what I wanted to talk. And it's like, how do you approach chaos? I don't remember how much I said about you know the the, the team itself, but for the sake of those people that might not listen every episode, I'm gonna repeat myself. So the team I just joined is a very small team and um, we, uh, we are working on a project that I call it legacy just because the agreement, the contract on that project was signed some time ago before our current growth time. Uh, there weren't enough people to pay attention to some details. So it's like it's, it's reasonable, but it's also given the priorities of the company right now and given current, I, I'm saying resources, but I mean like time, the focus and people um, that we have, it's um, it's definitely a moonshot. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it shows, and that's where the, cow, uh, the chaos comes from. Because, you know, you all have this, you read about, you know, how you have to strategize and how you should, you know, focus on one thing at a time and uh, and how you should uh, prioritize and, uh, you know, whatever doesn't work, you just you just let it drop. And that's all nice <laughs> and dandy. theory. <laughs> yes. Until, you know, reality slaps you in the face. And it's like, nope, that's not how I'm going to behave. <laughs> so what happens when you have too many priorities when you have, and, and those are not self-imposed. It's literally stuff that you cannot drop. What, what, do, you, what do you do with all that stuff? When, when a solution, one of the solutions to one of your problems, it's actually a problem itself because you don't have enough time to dedicate to that, to that thing. So you end up, you know, the, the whole team is not just, just me, but the whole team and, and the whole company uh, ends up, being so so excited and so stoked that that you work so many hours and and uh, you have to jump from one thing to another and and you don't have time to take a bio break my 
my favorite word since the <laughs> pandemic started, um, and and the like. So yeah, how do you approach chaos? I was like, yeah. for me as a sort of in the in the great position of uh, as an IC, I just I just say hey, but that's not the reality. Something has to be have more priority than the others, and mm -hmm. you have to. Just I don't know. Pick one, of course. Yeah. If if you're then the 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 manager or product manager, and you are basically in the line of fire, and you would have to defend that or find someone who will who's willing to decide that, then that's of course a different story. Yeah. So what I figured out is that uh, I don't think maybe I'm gonna change my mind, but at the moment I don't think any of those plates I, I keep spinning can really be dropped. So I'm just gonna make them wobbly. That's the only thing I can do. So I'm not particularly happy with the level of quality that my work has, but that's the only thing that I, in all seriousness, think I can do. And with that, I have to accept the risk. And so I believe is also the company and my manager that um, there will be consequences. For example, just to give you an idea, in a way, I'm, I'm really lucky that the team is so small because I literally have one freelancer at the moment mm -hmm. and one working student that is actually lended to the team. <laughs> and fundamentally, it's just one report at the moment. So I don't have tons of you know one-on-ones. I don't have to prepare for uh, performance reviews because this person joined after me. So maybe I'm going to get a second report in a couple of weeks. But, you know, this person has been with the company for some time. So what I'm trying to say here is that I can drop the, to some extent the quality of the dedication that I usually put into my relationship with my reports because partially I don't have so many. And on the other hand, I can I, and I do share with them what's the status. So I had this conversation with, I had my one-on-one -on -one with uh, this report of mine last week, and uh, I asked him how it felt because, as I said, he joined after me. I've been here for two months now, so mm -hmm. he's probably a month or so. And uh, he, is, he, is, um, he has been a manager. I mean, he started as an IC and became CTO of his previous company. And before that, he founded his own company, among other things he has done. He founded his own company that lasted at least, or he has worked there for five years. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he sold the company or whatnot. I don't, uh, I didn't investigate. But I mean, this person is someone that has experience exactly in this kind of role and even more complex than mine. And I asked him how it was going and what he says, like, yeah, you know, I was like, it feels like we don't have a lot of process right now. Like, just to give you an idea, guys, my my team right now works with Kanban until two weeks ago. We didn't have planning. Our only meeting for the week was a daily. It's like mm -hmm. we there was no overview, no roadmap, no idea what's coming next. Not like not evident to the team. There's no template for our tickets. There's no processes are all up in the air, if there are processes. 
and uh, <laughs> I tried. I was I was almost going to suggest you can help out with programming, but what I see, <laughs> what everything else, what what else is missing, so maybe not. <laughs> yes. So this guy, uh, I I asked him, I was like, okay, I I do understand, and I agree with you. I think it's super important. So this is why. And here comes another point of where I'm dropping the quality of my work, I think. Uh, I usually have a very choral approach to uh, how I uh, manage a team. What I do is literally poll the team for their their opinions on, on specific things. And then I integrate that constantly into my plan. It's like, okay, then we have to make this meeting this way or this is where we're heading, blah, blah, blah. But right now I cannot do that. I cannot afford that. I don't have the time, nor being the team so understaffed and with so much work, I cannot spare their time. They mm -hmm. have to work on what they are working. So to remove some impediments out of their way, I know that these things are important. Therefore, what I'm doing is just little by little creating those processes without asking them. And only every now and then telling them, hey, does it feel better? And that's the only thing I do. So there's no survey. There's no team health check. There is no nothing really. It's just me making a guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I told him this. I told him, like, okay, I also have to, and that's another one of my problems. My team is understaffed. So I have to hire. And I'm not only hiring for my team, but I'm also helping the company hiring for other roles, both in engineering as like our VP of engineering, but also in other roles like the QA engineer or the data engineer, mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. And there I'm also dropping a little bit the quality. I don't prepare as much for those interviews as I would like to. So I just, you know, scramble for the CV of these people five minutes before I take some notes, maybe I have some questions, but I, I don't dig too deep. Uh, I told him about the hiring. I told him about that. We are also having workshops. What's the future of engineering? I would have loved reading all the materials that my manager provided us. Like, guys, read all this stuff. Read team topologies. This is the vocabulary we're going to use. I do not have the freaking time. So not doing that and just going into those meetings and saying what I think. What can I do? I told him about this, told him about yeah, that. I told yeah. him about a bunch of things. And in the end, I asked him, it's like, if you were me, what would you do? And he, I think he started realizing it's literally a deadlock. There's nothing you can do. Everything is really prior one because it's so urgent that everything is urgent and important at the same time. There's literally not time for non-urgent or non-important. So... His answer was like, yeah, I understand. I don't think there's anything you can do more than what you do. <laughs> so that's how my past couple of weeks have been. <laughs> and that's why you're on holiday, I guess. Yes. I seriously, I thought I needed a holiday two weeks ago. Boy, I needed this week. <laughs> mm -hmm. The weather is also not helping because I was trying, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to relax, be on the beach not thinking about anything and instead it's raining or it's cloudy so even all those little things that you know i wouldn't fret too much if i were more relaxed are actually becoming more of a burden let's say uh, mm -hmm. so yeah but that's why i'm on holiday yes 
Yeah. I just wonder how long this... I can only hope that it doesn't last too long <laughs> because eventually it just will break down, right? We can only keep this up for so long. This is my, my feeling. And I, for a second, I also thought, okay, maybe it's me because I'm new, right? Like I, I haven't experienced that many new companies since ever, I guess. For, for a while, I thought, you know, it's just I'm, I'm not used to this. I'm new to the company, so I need to learn some things. And for sure, there's also that. Like I'm pretty confident that if I knew better how to navigate certain situations or certain topics, it wouldn't be as hard as I feel it right now. I'm not the only one. I, I told her last week too, I was like, I told one of our HR people, like I'm impressed by the, the amount of work they were able to, to put out there. It's like, you have no idea how, in a way, how structured And, and the kind of projects uh, HR has put in place for, for the company and for the employees while being literally two people. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. It's amazing work. But yeah, I mean, this made me think, you know, like people talk about growing pains until you experience those. I don't think you really realize what having a company that is in a growth phase, a high growth phase means. It's uh, it's it's very challenging, and you have to really like it. I was going to say, yeah, this is not, <laughs> wouldn't be the phase for me. I think, no. I'm, I'm sort of the one coming in afterwards to see. I don't know. After the phase, after that phase, there there's all this. I don't know debris <laughs> that you yeah. need to clean up. This is yes. sort of more my 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 forte than sort of getting to that point. I think. I think that for me would be the same. But in hindsight, one of the things that I wanted to experience was something different so that I can learn. And as much as I don't like it, frankly speaking, because this is not, I, I said this countless times, I am a perfectionist. So I don't like to work this way. I think it's still valuable because it gives me something tangible to talk about. It's like, then I can, I can speak about these topics with knowledge and that is even more important to me than uh, being comfortable mm -hmm. so all in all i think it will be a, a very good experience but yes i do agree with you it's something that i don't expect to be or i don't want to last too long at least with the mindset i have right now because if this takes for too long i know myself and i'm gonna suffer and i don't want to do that I'll have to find other other ways uh, to make this work for me. Yeah, yeah, we are sort of not in that position. We, mm -hmm. Our team is a bit bigger. I mean, it's still understaffed, I guess. I mean, like, I mean, realistically, every team is understaffed, right? There's always more to do <laughs> <laughs> than you can, you can, you have time for. Um, but we sort of have sort of a full, more or less full team now. Um, there are processes around us already established uh, that there, there's people actually responsible for for helping us with with those uh, processes as their job basically so what we are facing is i mean not to that extreme that you are but we are also basically facing this how do you pick the thing that has mm. the highest priority because okay. uh, we are basically a pretty new team it didn't exist uh, since uh, until I joined basically in middle of February and we are sort of taking over one part of the application that has been 
basically shifted from one team to the next and there was just the bare minimum done to, to sort of uh, to sort of keep it running or to here and there develop a new feature but there was never a really coherent story around what you want to do which is great because now we can sort of do it the way we want to and we can sort of we actually have the at least until recently we had the the sort of it was calm enough that we could basically decide uh, what we want to do and then sort of uh, start to implement it sort of the uh, correct way or sort of in a, in a less less patchy and less rushed way Okay. Unfortunately, some of that code that has been neglected for a while uh, is now sort of suddenly, I don't know if it's being used more or if we just look closer. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's starting to become problematic. And there's other parts of the company that also now realize, oh, this is not really working as nice as it should. Um, there's customers that are complaining. And now we are sort of stuck in the place where we have a plan on how to really fix it and put it on sort of a solid on a, on a solid foundation but this will take a few months to to really have have something solid there that gets us to to a nice place um but what do we do in between how much effort do we want to spend in mm. in sort of pa patching up the existing solution that we know we are going to completely replace soon right that's a very good question yeah so what what at least what my strategy there was is to see how much of of this effort of at least figuring out or finding uh, simple patches for what we want to uh, fix in the current solution, how much of this is sort of shared effort for, I don't know, figuring out the, the, the architecture of the new, new solution. Because basically we are interfacing with various third-party APIs that we need to integrate with our solution. And... I, I sort of try to structure the things that we more readily do to, to, to be those things that sort of we try to figure out what is happening in the existing solution. And hopefully we've learned something for when we rebuild it to either say, hey, now we know how this works. We don't need to do the research there all over again. Or we know why this doesn't work. And then we can sort of use this as a as a finding for how to restructure uh, the new application that we're building, basically. Mm -hmm. Because sort of, especially one of the APIs that we are interfacing with is, is giving us kind of big problems, mainly because back in the day when we built it, or actually when I built it some five, six years ago, yeah, um, <laughs> we sort of assumed that this API would, I mean, obviously API, there's always errors, but it would mostly work. Yeah, and that it has become clear over the years, and especially during the last months, that for this API, this is actually not true. Oops. <laughs> and if you sort of assume, as you sort of have this this built-in assumption that most times it's going to be fine, but then it isn't, then it, this is sort of very very hard to fix because, for example, you have some kind of background job that loops over a certain set of a certain data set and then asks the external API for data. Mm. It's great when that works, but if you sort of assume that it always works and then it suddenly breaks somewhere in the middle, then you're sort of stuck, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now we are basically face, uh, fighting with that, that problem that this API is so unreliable, but it has been sold to customers and I guess we would need to support it. Yeah. And it's leading to a lot of manual overhead 
until we get around to to fixing stuff. And at least we have figured it out now before we started building it. And we can sort of try to be a bit more defensive when we redo it and sort of assume, basically assume nothing and always assume stuff is going to break mm. on their end, which is annoying. Uh, but I guess that is one of our learnings there. How do you test this API? Are you mocking it? In the current solution, yes, we are mocking it. There's a lot of VCR tests yeah. or VCR cassettes out there uh, for it. But we are sort of, the issue with that API is not necessarily that it always breaks in one place, but it's just sometimes some of the calls you make don't work. Mm. And then you tell them and then after a while stuff works again. Yeah, I mean, this is something, it's it's not that uncommon. I remember with so in 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 my previous company we had this uh, what we call the payment system it was actually like kind of a you know access layer to the, it would tell the rest of the application if someone had access or not to the to the product we had to inter talk to APIs out, uh, from uh, payment providers there were mm -hmm. providers like. Stripe, for example, or like, what was the other one we were using? Never mind. That were always answering something meaningful. But there were APIs like Apple. <laughs> um, and yes, that what you are hearing is a smile, sarcastic smile. Uh, then every now and then, it was just return 500 and an HTML page. Mm -hmm. And you never know when this is going to happen. And you don't know why. It's happening. Uh, it's 500, sometimes it's uh, 400, whatever. So you cannot really ensure that that API will... The only thing you know is that it's an unpredictable, right? Uh, and then you have to program in this defensive way. So we had to integrate a check. Okay, if it's 500, then create a job, a delay job, and it will re-execute. And at some point that stuff will go through. But we cannot really say anything to the user because we we just have to assume that at some point it will start working again. Yeah. I mean, a, some, a, a certain level of, of that is, that is okay. But with this API, for example, we have some IDs from their system, right? Mm. And you can query the system using those. And it works for a while. And then sometimes, suddenly, those IDs become invalid. They used to work oh, and then boy. they don't anymore. <laughs> It's their ideas. It's their <laughs> ideas. <laughs> this is hilarious. Beautiful. Uh, I, I think the, the, the big problem from, for, for them is that they are sort of a, so they are pretending to be a global company, but um, sort of for, for data for, from certain countries, they sort of interface with third parties themselves mm. and they are not fully in control. Mm. And they sort of make that, I don't know, transparent to us. So okay. <laughs> if it breaks on their end, then it breaks on our end too. This was also something else that I was thinking about because when was I reading this? Yeah, I'm reading this book about, you know, software design. And the author was, uh, and it's not the first time that I, that I read this. So like, okay, if you are interfacing yourself with a third-party API, you shouldn't mock that API. You should let it fail. You should create a layer in your application that you test and that one is the one that you that has to deal with with the, the API, but you don't you don't mock you don't go and mock the whole API because then the assumption of your tests is that it's working 
while it might not. And there, I don't know how to solve that issue because if you want, like, I do understand the, the point, but what can you do? Like, the, the tests are going to be, if you want to test all the way through, then the tests are going to be super slow or you don't test all the way through. But then how can you really make sure that, I don't know, that, that what you are doing is actually valid? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean. Sort of. Yeah, I mean we have we have we have the same issue, of course, because we basically mock everything, and then you don't really test <laughs> if it's still working in production. Um, so what we think we will be probably doing is that there's a certain limited number of tests that sort of go through the whole system. Mm. So basically, calling the third-party API with valid data and then going through our system, and then also spinning up a sort of copy of our core application where the data goes into to sort of co test the complete flow to, mm. to make sure it works. Obviously, this is going to be super slow. We'll have to see how slow it's going to be. So hopefully we can integrate this into our CI system yeah. uh, anyway. Sort of, I don't know, spin up our app as a Docker image and our core application and then hopefully this works. But of course, you don't want to do that for all the test cases to sort of have a full end-to-end -end testing. So I guess for most cases, we'll just, I don't know, mock out our sort of API layer or yeah. I don't know. I'm not super, super a big fan of VCR anymore, but yeah, let's see. We haven't built it yet, so it's not clear. I mean, for sure, if you do this end-to-end -end testing, then it makes your, your test suit faster. The problem remains if there is something wrong with the APIs you're talking to, and it can be anything wrong. Like, you don't know how many times I've seen people noticing that some API wasn't working anymore or wasn't about to work anymore just because they were subscribed to some random newsletter. It's like, you only notice that that stuff is broken because it's actually broken. Yeah, I guess you can never fully... <laughs> Uh, get away from that, but yeah. I guess you have to find a balance of of how much effort and time you put into that, and how how slow your tests are going to be, and how easy you want to make it on the sort of developing your own application. I guess. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of um, you know design and and stuff like that, I was I was reading the other day on Twitter this this one thread that made me think about all the tests. Uh, that we are building and, and all those principles that we are, especially in object-oriented programming, that, that we are trying to establish to, to make our life easier, right? Like mm -hmm. dependence injection or as few parameters as possible for methods, public interface, private interface, blah, 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 uh, and TDD and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was something that I've read very often that especially software engineers and, and software developers should read about actual architecture, like construction architecture, mm -hmm. because there are many, many parallels with what we do on a, on a daily basis. We do make designs and the temporal scale. <laughs> Sorry <I> mean, <laughs> to, to interrupt. Sort of the, the, the main thing that I, that I always sort of highlight is that they also don't know how long stuff is taking. Exactly. If you look at all these big projects where 
if it's not something that has been built already, and then they also really can't tell how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost, which is kind of reassuring. I think <laughs> this goes back to, to something. It's definitely reassuring. This is something that goes back to another talk that I was listening to ages ago at a conference where the guy was like, I've talked with countless engineers from other disciplines. That is also very often guesswork. The only difference with software engineering is that software engineering is new. It's a mm -hmm. very young discipline. Like if you think about architecture and masonry and uh, construction engineering, this is stuff that has been around for hundreds, if not, if you think about the Romans and, and, and the Egyptians and whatnot, we're talking about thousands of years. Yeah. These people have learned over time. <laughs> And it's just a temporal scale that it's different. Like you have villas that have been there for hundreds of years now in, in the countryside of, of Italy, to name one. Um, and they have been built with certain principles in mind because they are usable, because this makes them durable, because this makes them also resilient. And over time, this, this architecture changes, it, it, it evolves. There was this one passage, it, it was, I think it was literally, I'm literally quoting, it was talking about evolutionary architecture. And it, mm -hmm. it feels so fancy to say that today, but this was a book from, I think, the 70s, if not even earlier. We're talking about evolutionary architecture in software engineering as if it's, you know, it's, it's new and smart. But this is what buildings have gone, have gone through for hundreds of years now. So there's totally a lot of stuff to learn from what in a adjacent uh, discipline, but other uh, other engineers have uh, have thought. Yeah, let me quote. Yes, the, long, the longer that buildings are expected to last, the more you can expect maintenance and other running costs to overwhelm the initial capital costs of construction. I mean, that's like one on one to one. Yes, there was that. And the other part that for me was really, I mean, it, it, it's one of those thoughts that is kind of like, once you have had them, it's like, duh. And it was talking about how modern buildings compared to old buildings uh, are more complex systems. Old buildings have designs that have been battle tested. They have very few elements. They have very few materials. And those materials are natural materials, It's, there's nothing fancy about those. And those buildings are simple, so you can fix them and you can create other things out of them. But if you look at modern building, modern buildings are complex because they are, they are the product of many, many systems meshed one into another. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if one fails... Mm. Uh, exactly. And if it one <laughs> fails, it's really hard to fix it. Speaking of, you know, imagine a skyscraper is, I don't know, 40 stories uh, tall and something breaks in the ventilation system. Where do you go? How, how do you fix something like that? For how long until you fix it? And you need specialized people that know about that specific system in order to make it running again. So the, the claim of the author was like, when you build new, new buildings, we should be aware that we need to build escape hatches into the system so that we can access those parts that are delicate and hard to fix once you have built everything around them. 
Mm-hmm. So we have to think about, you know, access doors here and there to access the electric system or the ventilation or the uh, the water, the, the, the pipes, the, I don't know. I mean, for now, we only have elevators that go straight. Imagine if you go to something like the enterprise where you have elevators that go everywhere, right? <laughs> I was like, how, how do you do that? Uh, so uh, Jeffrey's tubes. You need Jeffrey's tubes every fucking where. <laughs> And that made me think, yeah, about uh, all those little tweaks that we have, uh, especially tests. Uh, You have a built-in monitoring and alerting system when something breaks into your building, into your software building. Yeah, and sort of uh, my favorite is postponing some of the design yields more building for less money. And adaptivity is built in. Yes. Uh, That's also (laughs) kind of important. I was like, this is brilliant. So I don't recall what's the title of this book, but there's one that it's it's quoted in in those uh, snippets, and it's something that I also read somewhere else that was like, okay, this is this is highly recommended for software engineers. This book is called How Buildings Learn by Stuart Brand. Yeah, no, it's not this one. It'll, it'll come to mind. Okay, that's. But let's put this one into the show yes, notes. Yes, for well. sure. It's already in my cart. <laughs> We sometimes think they the other other the other sort of um, fields basically have it all figured out already, but I <laughs> guess it's more that they have figured out that there's things that are just very very hard to know, and you just need to think about them differently and sort of not try to be overly clever. Basically, <laughs> I mean it goes back to what one of my pet peeves, where I say always that you know you need specialists but you also need generalists. You need, it's like in the office, like you you look at your peers and you think they have all figured it out, but they're, you're not in their brain. You just don't know what they're going through, what they're thinking about. And about, you know, this kind of different fields, similar fields, adjacent fields, it's the same. We think they have everything figured it out, but just because we don't know about what they are going through. Yeah, that is a very... <laughs> general lesson anyway because yes. it doesn't only apply to you to you to your work it applies to basically everything just because other people look like they figured it all out it doesn't necessarily mean it's nah. true all right that was an interesting episode <laughs> on this you know uplifting note <laughs> <laughs> yeah on this uplifting note that basically no one knows what they're doing anyway <laughs> so don't sweat it <laughs> let's finish here all right so monica where can people find you apart from somewhere on the beach? I was about to say <laughs> on the beach. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at uh, KFMolly with an I. Uh, they can find me on GitHub or a couple of other places like Dev2 uh, under the nickname of uh, Nearnet. Or you can find me on my website, um, monikag.me. Word about you. About me, yeah. So when this episode airs, you can also find me on a beach somewhere in Greece, probably. Or <laughs> drinking uh, a cold coffee. Maybe not on a beach oh, nice. because it's hot. But you might be able to catch me on Twitter as well as UJH. At least for the time being, that's it. Uh, but you can, of course, also reach us via email at... I forget. Where can people find us via email? <laughs> We put the email address in the show notes. at expandingbeyond.it. Okay, so I've forgotten because 
generally no one writes to us. Um, I mean, beside but, a couple of companies trying to get money out of us because of yes. the domain, but not <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yes, we would prefer to not receive spam, but other other communication would be fine. <laughs> but hear from you. Tell us what exactly. you like and what do you want us to talk about next? And if you... Uh, have the time it would also be great if you were to sort of rate our podcast on any podcasting platform that you use yes please all right and that's it and i will let you get back to your holiday monica it's gonna be dinner time soon mm -hmm, nice <laughs> <laughs> have a lovely couple of weeks peeps bye 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 <laughs>